Our scripture readings will be the two accounts of Jesus' ascension, both of which the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write. We're going to start with the second in Acts chapter 1, Acts 1 verses 1 through 11. Then we will go back to our text in Luke 24, Luke 24 verses 50 through 53. But we begin in Acts chapter 1, and we will read the first 11 verses. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Then they therefore were, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now let's turn back to Luke 24. Consider the very last verses of the gospel as our text, verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. It's now been 40 days since Jesus burst from the tomb in glorious life and appeared unto the women who had the privilege of being the first witnesses of his resurrection. 40 days since Jesus appeared to two troubled travelers on the road to Emmaus and rekindled 
the smoking flax of their faith. Forty days since Jesus appeared to his disciples, as they were hiding away behind locked doors for fear of the Jews, showed himself to be alive, showed himself to be yet a real man, though glorified, and opened their eyes to understand the scriptures, to understand the meaning of his death and resurrection and why he had to suffer. Forty days have now passed. And during those 40 days, the Bible doesn't tell us much about what happened, where Jesus was. Jesus didn't abide with his disciples as he had before. He was about his father's business, but the Bible doesn't tell us much more than that. During those 40 days, he appeared to his disciples a few more times, and Acts chapter 1 tells us the purpose of those appearances of the Lord. It was to instruct them in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, to further explain the scriptures and impart to them a deeper and richer understanding of the gospel in preparation for their calling to be his witnesses unto the ends of the earth, which they would be empowered to do when the Holy Ghost would be poured out upon them on Pentecost. Forty days since his resurrection. Now is the day Jesus' departure from this earth. For his work here was done. The Gospel of Luke has taken us from the very beginning, Jesus coming down from heaven, becoming incarnate of the Holy Spirit and being born of the Virgin Mary. The very beginning of his ministry, he comes down from heaven and he ministers as the Christ come to save his people. And the Gospel of Luke has taken us through his ministry here below. And now the Gospel of Luke concludes with Jesus going up. His ascension into heaven. And throughout the course of our series on the Gospel of Luke, we've paid attention to that central theme that Jesus is a lowly and compassionate Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. And how we've seen that time and time again throughout the course of the Gospel. And now, at the very last verses of the Gospel, we see that theme here as well. As Jesus, having finished the work of salvation, ascends into heaven... But as he ascends into heaven, his heart is still upon his people. He blesses them and he goes into heaven that there he may continue his ministry on their behalf till the day that he comes again to establish his kingdom in perfection. And so we conclude our series on the Gospel of Luke with this beautiful text in Luke 24 verses 50 through 53. We see the conclusion of our Lord's ministry on earth, but also are given a beautiful glimpse of his continued ministry in heaven. The ministry that our compassionate Savior yet carries out on our behalf in glory and will carry out till he comes again. The triumphant Savior carried up into heaven. That is our theme. We consider The text under three points. The first, the victorious ascension. Second, the parting benediction. And thirdly, the joyful response. The victorious ascension, the parting benediction, the joyful response. Jesus came to earth to work. That's why he came. He came 
as he said in John 6 verse 38, not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. Of the Father that had sent him. And the will of the Father was save my people from their sins. That was the work that Jesus came down to do. That's the work that is bound up in his very name. Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. He came down to work our salvation. And now that work is finished. For 33 years or so, Jesus lived here below. Though he is not from below, but from above. He is the Son of God. Yet for 33 years, he walked among men, accomplishing the will of his Father. God the Son came down and took upon himself our human flesh. Was born of the Virgin Mary. He came down. And coming down, he emptied himself, he lowered himself, he humbled himself, he made himself of no reputation, he took upon himself the form of a servant, he humbled himself such that he subjected himself in our human flesh to all of our human limitations, all of our human weaknesses and infirmities, all of our miseries, With the sole exception of sin. And he humbled himself to such a degree. That he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. There. Above all. Is where Christ. Went. Down. Came down. And he bowed down in order to shoulder the burden of your sins and mine. He came down to bear the burden of the holy wrath of the holy God. He came down to bear upon himself the punishment that God's justice demands be exacted upon sin. He came down for us. And we see him in the deepest depths. When he ascended up to the hill crest of Calvary. And there upon the cross. He went down. Down into the depths of hell. For us. In our place. To take that punishment away. And to earn for us. Life. Exalted life. Life. Up. With God. Jesus. Came down. And in the depths fulfilled the Father's will. He came, he sought, and he saved. And finished the work of his name, Jehovah's salvation. Then he rose. Because the Son of God could not and may not stay down. He rose. He rose up. By his own power and by the power of God the Father that raised his beloved son from the grave. Raised the victorious mediator of the covenant. Raised Jesus from the dead up with glorious new life. He rose up. Not shedding his humanity. But he rose up to enter into glory and to glorify The humanity that he took to himself. He went up to take us up with him. Into exaltation. Jesus came down. Down here he conquered. 
Now the triumphant Savior must go up. And he goes up in the resurrection. But that's not up far enough. He must go up further. He must go up all the way up into heavenly glory. To the very throne of God. The height of glory where he must be seated. And now that time has come. That time has come. And so our text begins. The very homely words in verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. Them. Them of course refers to Jesus' 11 apostles. But very likely it refers to more than them. Because throughout the past days. The 11 apostles were together with the broader group of disciples. The women. Mary Magdalene and the others. Cleopas and his companion, perhaps Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus' closest followers as a group. He leads them as far as Bethany. Remember, Bethany is just a little ways away from Jerusalem, situated near the Mount of Olives. And from Bethany, Jesus then went up into the Mount of Olives. We know that from Acts 1 verse 12. And it's there in the Mount of Olives, the Christ who came down. And down here finished the work of salvation. There in the Mount of Olives. That beautiful place that had seen so much. Not the least of which Jesus' intense agony in Gethsemane. That place would be the site of the ascension of the Lord into his glory. There as Acts relates to us. Jesus gave the last instructions, his last teaching, his last words to his disciples and to his followers. And having spoken those last words, Jesus ascended into heaven before the eyes of his disciples. Verse 51 of the text. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. There's Luke's simple description of the ascension. The ascension is described with those two phrases, parted from them and carried up. The first, parted from them, is really the effect of the second, carried up. And so we're going to start with the second. Jesus' ascension was his being carried up into heaven. Note... The passive voice of the verb. Carried up. It's certainly true that Jesus ascended of his own divine power. Just as Jesus rose of his own divine power. But the emphasis of the text here is on the operation of God. God the Father carrying up his Son with whom he is well pleased. The Son whom he sent into the world. The Son who finished the work given to him. The Son who fulfilled all the Father's will. Now approvingly, the Father carries up his Son into the glory that the Son has earned and deserves. Earned for himself, yes, and also earned for his people. And so you can think of the the ascension this way, as God the Father with his own hands carrying his beloved Son into the heavenly glory where he belongs as the victor, the victorious Christ. Into heaven. Carried up into heaven. And how we often need to hear those words and reflect on those words. Jesus entered heaven. 
Because heaven is a real place where real humans go. Jesus, the incarnate Christ, who is as much a man as you and I, the glorified Christ, is taken up into heaven. That's where God's people go. That's where we will go to be with our head. It's a real place. As real as this earth upon which our feet are standing right now. Jesus is carried up into heaven. According to his human nature, of course. We understand that. That mystery of the union of the divine and human nature in the one person of the Son of God. Jesus' divine nature is united to his human nature, and yet his divine nature is in no way limited by his human nature. So that even after the ascension, Jesus is everywhere present according to his divinity. And yet, Jesus' divine and human nature, though united, they are not mixed or mingled together. So that Jesus' human nature retains all of its natural properties. It doesn't take upon itself the attributes of the divine. Jesus' human nature doesn't become everywhere present. His human nature, his body, his soul is only in one place at one time. And at the ascension, Jesus' body and soul, the man Jesus Christ, is carried up into heaven. And therefore, he was parted from his disciples. Parted from them. That was the effect of his being carried up. Not an absolute parting. Not a complete or permanent parting. Because after all, Jesus is everywhere present according to his divine nature. And as he promised, he would go up in order that he might come again to his disciples Through his Holy Spirit, he ascends and receives the Spirit of the Father and pours out that Spirit ten days later on Pentecost. And the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell in God's people. And by his Spirit, Christ is present with them. It's not a complete, not a permanent parting. It's not permanent because the Lord Jesus will come again at the last day. And yet, the text teaches us there is a real parting here. A physical parting in that Jesus, in his body, in his humanity, is no longer here on earth, but is up there in heaven. In Luke 5, verse 35, very early in Jesus' ministry, he talked about this day, how the day would come When the bridegroom would be taken away. The Pharisees were complaining, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like we do? Jesus' answer to them was, the bridegroom is with them. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken. Referring to Jesus and his ascension and the New Testament age. When Jesus is not physically present with us. There is a parting. And in those days, God's people will fast. They will pray. Looking earnestly for the day of the bridegroom's coming again. There's a real parting. And throughout the whole New Testament, even though we have such riches by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are still, in an important way, apart from Jesus. And that fuels the prayer of the church. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We yearn for the fullness of his presence. That's the event of the ascension which Jesus' disciples and followers beheld there on the Mount of Olives. Now, before moving on in the text, let's note a couple of points of significance here. The significance that our triumphant Savior is carried up into heaven. First, 
let's notice that Jesus' ascension was necessary as the fulfillment of the Scriptures. And whatever's in the Scriptures goes back further to God's eternal decree. Every prophecy of Scripture is ultimately rooted in God's eternal decree and good pleasure. We've seen in Luke 24 how Jesus has explained to his disciples the divine necessity of his passion, of his suffering and death. In verse 7 of Luke 24, the angels spoke to the women at the empty tomb and said to them, Don't you remember what the Son of Man, what Jesus said to you? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Jesus had told the two travelers on the road to Emmaus that he had to suffer. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory, verse 26. And then also in verse 46, Jesus opens the eyes of his disciples and teaches them the necessity of his suffering and his death and his resurrection. Those things were necessary. They were decreed by God. They were prophesied in the scriptures because this is how the Messiah saves his people. But now that can also be said and is equally to be said about Jesus' ascension. Jesus' ascension is necessary. and Jesus' ascension is prophesied in the scriptures. And the reason for the necessity of Jesus' ascension comes out in those prophecies. In fact, the book of Psalms contains numerous prophecies of Jesus' ascension. Let's look at a couple a moment. Start early in the Psalms at Psalm 24. The background of this psalm, as you surely know, is the ark being brought up into Jerusalem. And that itself is a picture, a shadow of the ascension. But in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, rather verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. That verse describes the redeemed saint, but above all, it describes Christ. The righteous Christ who finishes the work of salvation. He is the one who ascends. Near the end of the psalm, verses 7 and 8, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. That's what happened when Jesus ascended. As it were, heaven's gates opened up. The everlasting doors lifted up their heads and the king of glory came in. The king who is mighty in battle, as verse 8 says. The king who had just finished his battle on the cross of Calvary. Another very clear prophecy of the ascension is in Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 18. And this verse especially brings out why Jesus' ascension is necessary. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among men. So many things you can pull out of that verse. What a prophecy. Of Jesus' ascension. This is why Jesus goes up. 
He ascends on high, leading captivity captive. Captivity. We had been in captivity. The bondage of Satan. The bondage of sin. But Christ, by his work here below, has freed us from that captivity. And such is his victory that he leads our captivity captive. He is as a conquering king coming home to his capital city and behind him is a train of prisoners of war, his defeated enemies. Captivity brought into captivity. And the verse goes on to describe how the king who has ascended on high has received gifts for men. That's what Jesus did. By his work on the cross, he has merited our salvation. He receives divine gifts, the blessings of salvation for men to bestow upon his people. His people who are rebellious, who are sinners, who are undeserving of themselves. And yet the conquering king, he takes the spoils of his victory And he brings them and he gives them and he bestows them upon his people. The citizens of his city who are rebels. Amazing. Amazing. That's the ascension. Jesus ascends in order that the gifts he receives. The chief of which is the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Father gives to him. That he may then pour out those gifts upon us. That's what would happen 10 days from now. Pentecost fulfills this psalm. The gift of the Spirit. But also all of the blessings of salvation. Grace upon grace poured out by the ascended Christ. That's why Jesus had to ascend. To pour out heavenly graces upon us. And so we see then. Jesus' ascension is good. It's good. Jesus went up because his work down here was done. But the fact that his work down here is done means there's work yet to be done up in heaven. Yes, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And what he meant there was that salvation is accomplished. Salvation has been obtained. All of the blessings of salvation have been merited. Salvation is accomplished. But now that salvation must be applied. And that's why Jesus goes up. He goes up. So that at God's right hand. Seated upon his throne. He might apply all of those blessings to us. He is king. Christ the king, and Christ the king must sit upon his throne. From his throne, he blesses his people. And that now takes us to the parting benediction. Luke's account of the ascension includes a significant detail that Luke, by inspiration, omits from the account in Acts. And that significant detail, and perhaps the most beautiful part of our text tonight, is the fact that Jesus, as he ascends, blesses his disciples. Verse 50. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And then verse 51 Restates it. And it came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. 
Jesus did not make a wish here. Jesus did not say a prayer asking for God's blessing upon his disciples, but Jesus blessed them. That is, Jesus himself declares the blessing of God upon them. He pronounces that blessing as the one to whom all authority and power in heaven and earth has been given. He pronounces them blessed. God's blessing can be defined this way. God's blessing is his mighty word. His mighty word of love and favor. That's the content of that word, as well as the attitude behind it. God's mighty word of love and favor, which makes his people joyful. God's blessing not only communicates to us what he thinks of us, his attitude, but his blessing is also powerful. It is a powerful word that effects, that is, causes what it says. God's blessing is a word of favor that makes us favored. God's blessing is a word of love that makes us blessed. It is a powerful word. God's word is always powerful, of course. Think of creation. Let there be light, and there was light. God's word did not return to him void. It accomplished the thing whereto he sent it. Think of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee when he arises. He says to the wind and the waves, Peace, be still. And his word was a powerful word, an effectual word, meaning the word itself accomplished the intended effect. And the sea was calm. So it is when God blesses. When God blesses, his blessing makes us blessed. That is happy, joyful. And not just an emotional flare up, but truly joyful. Joyful in knowing our salvation. Joyful, joyful in the comfort of belonging to Christ now and eternally. True joy. That's the power that resides in the word of God's blessing. It's a declaration here then of the triumphant Christ to his disciples, to his followers, and by extension to all that they represent, you and me, the whole church throughout the ages. Jesus blesses us. But now, Jesus' blessing in the text is accompanied by a symbolic gesture. The text says that he lifted up his hands. And that's significant. That's significant. This lifting up the hands very likely is the gesture that the minister does when he pronounces the benediction of God at the beginning and the end of the service. You lift up your hands like this and you stretch forth your palms towards those who are the objects of God's blessing. And so that's what Jesus did, most likely. As he blessed his disciples, he lifted up his hands like this and outstretched his palms towards them. This gesture has a long history. It's a priestly gesture. It goes all the way back to Leviticus 9, verse 22. Leviticus 9, verse 22. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And there 
You see the significance, huh? Aaron is up on the dais where the altar is. He has just offered sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice being finished, he lifts up his hand and blesses the people. That was the work of the Old Testament picture priesthood. Their main work was to offer those sacrifices which pictured the atonement that was necessary to pay for sin so that the people would be accepted of God and have their sins forgiven. And then on the basis of that sacrifice, on the basis of atonement, God's blessing could be pronounced. See what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is our high priest. The altar of the cross is behind him. That altar upon which he, the high priest, offered himself as the Lamb of God, the spotless, perfect sacrifice, shed his blood to wash away all of the sins of all of his people. And now on the basis of that finished work, Jesus the high priest stands before his disciples, stands before his whole church, lifts up his hands in priestly benediction, pronouncing upon them, this is what my cross means for you. This is what my cross obtains for you. There is no more sacrifice for sin. You are blessed. The favor of God is upon you. His countenance, the light of his countenance shines upon you. Perhaps Jesus even spoke. The benediction Aaron spoke. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. See how rich that is. Jesus is declaring to them. Your salvation is accomplished. You are reconciled to God. Nothing more can or needs to be added. Your sins are forgiven. You have a place in God's presence. You are welcome into his presence. You are accepted of God. That's what the raised hands and blessing of Jesus mean. That's what it means to you, beloved. But now... Let's not miss another important detail which brings the richness even further. And that's the detail that we find in the word while. While. The text says in verse 51, And it came to pass while, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. We mustn't think of the scene this way. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives. Jesus lifts up his hands and pronounces the blessing. And then Jesus lets his hands fall to his side. And then Jesus is carried up into heaven before the eyes of his disciples. No, the text says, while he blessed them. At the same time as he was blessing them, he ascended. And so the way to envision it is that Jesus lifts up his hands and outstretched 
his nail-printed hands towards his disciples and begins pronouncing God's blessing. And as he is speaking that blessing, he lifts up off the ground and is carried up by the Father into heaven. And as he goes up, the whole way up, his hands are still outstretched in blessing until that cloud comes and hides him from the sight of his disciples. And the last glimpse of the Savior that they had. The last sight etched forever in their memories. Is Jesus in the air. with His hands like this. Speaking blessing upon his people. While he blessed them. He was taken up. Let's see the significance of that. The most basic level it teaches us this. It teaches us that Jesus ascended in order to bless his disciples. The ascension was a blessing for the church. While he ascends, he is blessing them. And that's what the ascension is all about. The ascension brings blessings to the church. But now, let's go a little deeper than that. That Jesus ascends the whole way up into heaven with his hands outstretched in blessing. Means he abides in heaven with his hands yet outstretched in blessing over us. When Jesus got to heaven, he didn't lower his hands, so to speak. He didn't stop blessing. Jesus sat down at God's right hand. Jesus occupies the throne of the universe. He holds the scepter. And yet, his hands are still lifted in blessing. This is his work throughout the entire New Testament age until he comes again, blessing his people, pouring out his blessings upon them. He himself being the shining face, the beautiful countenance of the Father toward us. This shows God's unchanging favor and love for his people. This shows the utter impossibility of our salvation being undone. The hands of Jesus Christ are outstretched over his church through the whole New Testament age, applying his blessings, applying his gifts by the Spirit. It's the preservation of the saints right there. Jesus never lets his hands drop. What a comforting thought that is. Jesus, right now, beloved, in heaven, even while he sits on his throne, his hands, like this, over you. Often we use hands as a figure for God's providence. God's providence are his mighty hands upholding all things. His hands are beneath us, upholding us and supporting us. The hands of Jehovah's salvation are also above us. Bringing blessing down upon us. That's what Jesus is doing right on his throne right now. In your trials, in your warfare, In all things, 
You remember Israel's battle with the Amalekites? Exodus 17. Children, you probably remember this story. Israel went to war against the Amalekites and Moses climbs up into a nearby mountain and there, what does he do? Lifts up his hands. Moses, a picture of the mediator of the covenant, a picture of Christ the Savior. And while his hands were uplifted and outstretched towards the the battle, the Israelites won. Moses was a mere man. Moses was fallible. Moses got tired. And what happened after a while? Well, the same thing that would happen to any of us trying to keep our hands up like this. His arms began to droop as his strength waned. And so Aaron and her had to come up, stand one on each side of Moses, and prop up his hands so that Israel would win the battle. There's a picture of Christ. But the imperfection of the picture drives home the point. Moses couldn't do it of himself. Moses was weak. Moses need help, needed helpers. Not Jesus. Jesus is almighty. Jesus is the savior. And for the entire New Testament age, his hands remain uplifted over the church militant as she fights her wars against sin, Satan, and the wicked world. And Jesus never grows tired. Jesus is never distracted. Jesus never quits for a moment. We're winning the battle. We will win the battle. We cannot lose the battle because his hands are uplifted and and outstretched over us. Moses was but a picture. Jesus is the reality. In our battles, in the midst of this dark world, against sin, Satan, the world, temptation, suffering, trial, tribulation, persecution, all of the rest, in all of our battles, Let the eyes of faith see the ascended Christ, his uplifted hands. As we conclude the series on the Gospel of Luke, that's a most fitting closing scene, isn't it? A most beautiful last glimpse of the Christ, the Gospel of Luke. Savior, blessing us. May the word of this gospel as it has been brought over the course of a few years a couple years may that word be hidden in our hearts comfort us that we may see and know this is our savior who sought us found us saved us the response was joy and that should be our response to joy The disciples respond with joy. We read of that in the last two verses of the text, 52 and 53. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Surprising, isn't it? Surprising that joy is the one emotion that the scriptures record here. We would expect, from a human point of view, that the disciples would be sad. Jesus is now parted from them. He's gone up into heaven. They will see him no more with these eyes. We'd expect them to weep. He had just come back from the dead. And now only 40 days later, he leaves. 
There's no, there's no weeping, at least not recorded here. There's rejoicing because Jesus had opened their eyes. He had filled their hearts. They understood with new understanding the meaning of his suffering, the meaning of his death, the meaning of his resurrection. They perceived what Jesus' parting benediction meant for them and meant for the church. The Messiah awaited for thousands of years had come and now they see it. The Messiah had come. The Messiah had finished his work. And now before them was a new age. A new age in which all of the benefits of the Messiah would be brought to God's people. Beginning in Jerusalem. Then in Judea. And then in Samaria. And then to the uttermost part of the earth. They were filled with faith and hope and joy. As eyewitnesses of the fulfillment of the scriptures. Eyewitnesses of the mother promise fulfilled. What a change this wrought in them. No longer hiding behind locked doors. The disciples instead go where? To the temple. They go to the temple. There they continue daily worshiping the Lord. The text says that they worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus himself. Here's One of many passages in scripture that makes clear that right from the beginning, the New Testament church understood Jesus is God and is worthy of worship. They worshipped him and they praised God. They blessed the Savior who ascended to pour out his blessings upon them. They praised. They didn't preach yet. That's coming. Ten days hence, Pentecost. Praised. Praised the Lord with joy. And so the gospel of Luke ends in the temple. It began in the temple. Remember it began in chapter 1 with Zacharias. The appearance of the angel. The promise of the forerunner. And the promise that the Messiah. And his coming was right around the corner. And there in the temple there was unbelief. And Zacharias did not believe. And he was given that chastening sign. He was mute. He went out into the temple and mute, he could not pronounce the blessing. The picture priest failed on account of sin. Now at the end of the gospel, we have the disciples rejoicing in the temple. Because the priest had come. And the priest had accomplished the work. And the priest had had pronounced the benediction. And they rejoice. They rejoice. Let that be our response to to the hearing of these things. Let that be our response to hearing the gospel of the ascension once again. We rejoice in what Christ has done for us. Rejoice in his blessing over us. Rejoice in his continued work in the midst of this world. Gathering, defending, preserving his people. Rejoice even as we see the signs of his second coming. Rejoice and praise God from whom all blessings flow. Rejoice by gathering together in this temple, in this church. Gathering together continually to praise and to bless the Lord. The Savior came to seek and to save the lost. We were lost. He came down. Down here he found us.
down here he sought us, bought us, saved us. And having found and saved us, he's gone up so that soon he may carry us up to be with him. Rejoice in that gospel. Let us render unto him grateful returns of ardent love till that day when at last we will gather together around his throne. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the ascension of Jesus Christ, for His parting benediction, which shows to us what He is even now doing for us in glory, that His hands are uplifted and outstretched in blessing over us. May the consciousness of this reality strengthen us to fight the good fight of faith, knowing that the victory shall surely be ours, and that the day is swiftly coming in which we shall gather around thy throne, cast all of our crowns at the feet of Jesus, saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory, honor, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen.